The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. And we look at what's going on in the world through the perspective of our Catholic values. We're looking at it uh, from the perspective of the dignity of the human person, which is kind of fundamental. Um, and the value of human life and the human person. That is a critical underpinning of our Catholic social teaching. But we also then move beyond that to say that individuals, they tend to grow in families. And so the family is very important as a very place where there is mutual support for the individual members of the family. And then we go beyond the family a little bit. We go beyond that to society in general and the public square and civic life and the country. And so we say that participation in the civil things of the nation is very important. Very simply, voting is critically important. Raising a voice about public policy, that is a very important part of what we believe is a Catholic value. So that's a very, very important thing for us. Again, some of the other things are by extension, because work is constitutive. In other words, work is part of what it means to be human. We believe the dignity of work, the dignity of workers, is a very important value through which we look at what's going on in the world. And we also say that you can't always think about your own country. You really have to think about things that are far afield, to use a phrase. So we say that solidarity across the globe is one of the values that we Catholics bring to the discussion about what's going on in the world. And if we then kind of put a lot of that together, so that whole big world that's out there is our creation. Not that we created it, but it's the creation that God did, which is for us, to enjoy, for us to take care of, for us to preserve, so that it might sustain human life. And so that notion of ecology, the notion of the environment, how that is well taken care of and stewarded, is another one of those principles or values of our Catholic social thinking. And finally, The last one that I'll mention is when you look at all of this thing, because the dignity of the human person is so critical, we pay a special attention to those who oftentimes struggle to have that dignity play itself out, the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable. And so when we look at what's going on in the world, one of the lenses that we bring is, well, how is this going to affect people who are poorest? How is this going to affect people who are on the margins? How is this going to affect those people who are vulnerable? And so that is a very, very critical part of what we do. And so that's what we do on the show. We talk about a range of topics, and then we talk about them, and we lens them with those six or seven different values that we bring as Catholics to the world that we live in. So 
that's kind of what I did. So, so Tom, um, I know you know this stuff better than I did. So let out, fill in our listeners. What did I leave out? Or how should I have said that a little differently? And what do you want to add from your perspective about our Catholic values? My dear, I was I was listening. I would give I give you an A plus. I think I think you covered all seven of the of the principles. I was waiting. I it was funny because when you were going through, I I was thinking the option for the poor and the vulnerable, which was the last one you mentioned. I was waiting for that one, but you came with a crescendo and you brought that in in the end. So I think I would have to give you an A plus, Monsignor. Well, <laughs> I, want, I want I'm going to I'm going to your school because I want to get those A pluses <laughs> from that. So I, you know, I appreciate your um, I appreciate that. And um, it's good. So, Tom, let me let me ask you a question about that, because we do talk about it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you've been trying to do what you can to kind of communicate those values in a variety of different mm-hmm. audiences. So I know right. that you have been, you know, been doing that. Um, what do you, where do you think things are in the sense of how, how are our Catholic, um, you know, how's our Catholic parishioners, how are people engaged? How much do they understand that? I mean, I know that's a very broad question and mm-hmm. you can answer it in a variety of ways, but I'm interested, you know, as you look at the world around us, mm-hmm. where do you see things at? I think, Monsieur, you know, when whenever I try to talk to the parishioners about Catholic social teaching in general, I don't start with the principles. What I like to do is start with the reason the parishioners come together in the first place, which is the person of Jesus. And I always like to begin and, and talk a little bit about some of the um, times in some of the parables that Jesus told that those principles are there. They're not necessarily the principles as we enumerate them. Jesus didn't give us seven principles of Catholic social teaching, but he did talk about things about, for example, when he was talking about um, at the end of time, when the nations are assembled and he talks about caring for the least of our brothers and sisters. Well, that's the option for the poor and the vulnerable. I mean, it's not it's not put forward in that language, but that's right. the option. And I think, Monsignor, that parishioners, by and large, on those issues, get it. I mean, you know, they, in, I've just been amazed, for example, by the outpouring of, uh, you know, the way people are reaching out and trying to support um, some of the um, the asylum seekers who've been coming here to New York. And right. and they're just, you know, uh, re- reaching out and giving money and giving goods and giving food. So I think people intuitively get it. I just think it's incumbent upon us how we present it so that people understand it better and maybe understand it. So let me let me give you a, a wonderful example of what you just said. Mm-hmm. So um, earlier this week, I was at uh, an event in our Catholic Charities Agencies in New York. They, you know, many of them have uh, dinners or receptions in which they try to raise money in order to support their mission and the work that they were doing. So I was at one of them earlier this week and I was talking to one of the people who was on the board and he kind of pulled me aside and he said, Hey, listen, I know there are a lot of people coming to New York. I know there are these people seeking asylum and they're in pretty difficult situations. I'd like to support, I'd like to sponsor one of those families if I could. This was somebody who, you know, had already supported this other organization that was doing a tremendous amount of good was here being generous there, but 
he kind of wanted to step up and to do something else in order to support a family that that needed that help. So uh, I thought that was a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good indication of exactly what you're talking about in mm-hmm. terms of of people stepping up and wanting to be generous. Exactly, Mathieu. I think I think that's a great example. So I I I think people intuitively get it. It just I guess it's it's important for us how we kind of package those principles so people understand a little bit that the principles are related to, you know, the things that they they want to do or you know in their everyday life anyway. Right. Right. So I think that is that's that's good. So you know what, Tom? Why don't we go to our first guest? Our first guest is Vicky Trujillo. She is the executive director of Catholic Charities of Gallup, New Mexico. And I'm delighted that she is taking the time to be with us on Just Love. Vicki Trujillo, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great. So what we what Tom kind of arranged for us today is that we wanted to talk with uh, a couple of Catholic Charities directors in different parts of the country about kind of what they're doing uh, for Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving is a big time when a lot of our Catholic Charities agencies do some special things. And so rather than just focus on one area, we're going to kind of talk with people in different parts of the the country. So, Vicki, thank you so much. And before we get into the Thanksgiving part of what we're doing, um, give our listeners a little bit of sense of how you got into this business and um, give us a little bit about what you've been doing to get here. Okay. Um, so I've been with Catholic Charities of Gallup for 10 years. Okay. Um, and I am been the executive director for five. Okay. I originally got hired on as the accountant um, for the five agencies that we serve here in the Diocese of Gallup. And then um, as time went on and people left and jobs changed, um, I just started taking on new jobs and responsibilities, and that's how I ended up as executive director. Well, are you glad you did? <laughs> so it wasn't something that was in my plans or anything like that, and actually uh, coming on to Catholic Charities wasn't um, even a thought. I didn't even know ab- about it in our in our community until I was hired on. It's kind of like a little secret here, but, um, you know, when I first applied for the job, it was just a um, newspaper said accountant needed to send resume to this. It didn't even say what you would be doing or what company I sent it off. I got called and interviewed and got hired. So that's how I came to be here. Well, and you stayed. I stayed. I, I have enjoyed my time here. Um, it has been a new experience for me and, um, learning every day and, and helping my community, um, has been near and dear to my heart. So, um, this is a great organization to work for and even a great organization all through the U S and how Catholic charities USA serves. It's just amazing. All the people we serve from, you know, every end of, um, the USA to Puerto Rico. It's just amazing. Well, I was just down in Puerto Rico at a conference for a few days. 
And I saw how Catholic Charity or Caritas in Puerto Rico and a Catholic Charities Agency down there does serve, as you said, throughout the United States, including uh, on the island of Puerto Rico. So I think that's uh, good. What were you doing before you kind of moved to Catholic Charities? Where were you, where were you working then? So I worked um, in retail um, in, with Indian jewelry, which is so prominent here in Gallup. Um, we're the Indian jewelry capital of the world. Wow. And so I worked for a company there um, here in Gallup for about 12 years before I came here. Ah. So it was a huge change because it was, you know, retail and, and selling and then to come to a nonprofit was pretty different. You know, it's interesting because I think now doesn't doesn't Gallup have some type of kind of tagline that relates to Native Americans? In other words, that it's like the center of a lot of a lot of different things. So here in Gallup, um, uh, we are called the uh, Indian jewelry capital of the world. Ah. So. Um, a lot of it's made here and sold here and then shipped to stores all over the U.S. Uh, and the world. So, um, you know, the Native American artists are very, very talented in their um, jewelry skills, jewelry making skills, their art. Um, you know, I don't know if you can see behind me the paintings, the paintings that our listeners can, but I can. And yes, I'll testify to you, listeners. It really <laughs> looks neat. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have we have a lot of our our Native Americans that that that's how they make their living is is selling their jewelry and their art. So, so Vicky, we're going to forget about Thanksgiving, and what I'm just going to talk to you about is: can you help me do my Christmas shopping? <laughs> sure. Can you, can you give me some advice on? which of the jewelry stuff we should, we should get and, and things that are, that are there. That's delightful. That's yeah. Delightful. So I don't know if you can see, but I have my turquoise on today. So um, yeah. this is one of, you know, many things that are offered here. We actually Catholic charities here in Gallup used to have a co-op. Um, this was before I came on um, about 15 18 years ago, they had a co-op where they let the artists come in and do their jewelry. And then we had a gallery where they were able to sell it. So so that was a program here that um, the previous executive director um, made. And then it it worked out. I mean, they were able to, to, to work here and sell their jewelry here. That is great. We're speaking with Vicki Trujillo, who is the executive director of Catholic Charities of Gallup. And as she told us, she kind of got into the Catholic Charities world a little bit, not knowing what she was getting into. But 10 years later, she's now the executive director for five years and she loves it. And she thinks that it is great work. So Vicki, thank you for sharing that that with us. Um, so let's move forward. I mean, um, what is, uh, so what, uh, what special activities is Catholic Charities in, in Gallup doing for, um, for Thanksgiving? 
So for Thanksgiving, um, we are partnering with a lot of other local agencies and volunteers, and they, we are going to serve a Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving Day at a location in Gallup. And um, it's just kind of a collaboration of all the different nonprofits and, and people who wanted to volunteer time and food. So we are going to feed our homeless um, population on Thanksgiving Day. We're, we're actually making the turkeys and providing plates and utensils. And then we are also going to make um, some hygiene bags to give out to the clients you know, with the toothpaste and toothbrushes and, you know, uh, soap, shampoo and things like that. Um, we also are giving out um, Thanksgiving baskets to families that want to cook their Thanksgiving meal but can't afford it right now. So we're giving about 20 of those away. We um, have also been approached by a local restaurant here in Gallup that is going to be serving Thanksgiving dinner. And so they gave us 30 vouchers to send clients that live in hotels and can't cook. So they would be able to go and um, eat Thanksgiving dinner there or take it to go. And then also in our other agencies in Holbrook, Arizona, um, which we cover, um, they, they also feed a Thanksgiving meal on Wednesday. And they also take a cooked meal to um, our clients that live in the hotels there in Holbrook. So it's uh, families that, you know, they live in hotels and don't have the resources to cook a, a turkey or mm. pretty much any type of, of dinner. So we provide that for them also. Vicki, it seems like there's a lot going on. It seems that Catholic Charities is involved either directly or in partnership with a lot of uh, a lot of very good generous things that are going to be happening on or around Thanksgiving. Yes, yes, we're we're very excited this year because um, you in the past like three years since COVID, we haven't been able to serve a Thanksgiving meal. So we kind of collaborated with the city of Gallup and other agencies, nonprofits that. Um, are willing to provide the volunteers and food and even individuals they're donating their time and food so we were able to collaborate I think they're expecting about 80 to 150 clients to eat okay so yeah. we're making five turkeys for that oh that is that is that is wonderful so you know I've been hearing this and I know in our Catholic Charities food uh programs in new in in new york we're facing a challenge because of inflation we're facing a challenge that you know sometimes with the same amount of money that we have we can only provide um, a, a fewer fewer meals are you experiencing any of that out in in gallup yes so um this year we were only able to provide 20 20 baskets Usually we do around 30. Okay. Um, and for the rest of the people that, you know, came in or are called, you know, that we're starting to get a lot more calls now um, for baskets or food, we're able to provide them with a food voucher to our local grocery store okay. and they can go get, you know, um, 
their groceries there. But even that voucher for a hundred dollars is not going the same, the same way it did two years ago. You know, it, it doesn't, um, equal up to a lot of groceries, you know, a hundred dollars is not the same. Yeah. I mean, I tell this story, I'll tell the story about, to give an example to our listeners, you know, throughout the country in one of our programs here in New York, we, on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we do in New York city, we do a thousand um, turkeys and Thanksgiving meals that we distribute both at one community center and then deliver to other community centers, et cetera. So we usually do a thousand. Um, But this year, with the same amount of funds that we got, um, we could only do 800. Um, and so it's, that's a, that's a big drop. Now, I'll tell you the bright side about that. When I was talking to people about it uh, on an occasion, maybe a month or so before Thanksgiving, where I said, you know, here's how it's affecting us. Somebody came up, a donor came up to me after that and said, okay, we'll make it up. And so you can do what you need to do. So it was just a a very nice and warm kind of wonderful thing, but that's That's not going to happen all the time. And so, yeah. Uh, So, um, so what I'm really interested to get a little bit of a perspective, as you talked about Gallup being the center of kind of native American jewelry, and I re- suspect the reason of that is because there are a lot of Native Americans in in the Gallup area. Now, yes. Catholic Charities there provides a fair number of services and a fair number of, of the clients whom you serve are Native Americans. Am I correct in that? Uh, you are correct. So um, Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Gallup, we are surrounded by um, the Navajo Nation, which is the largest a Native American tribe in the U.S. Um, they have about 27 square miles of reservation that cover New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah. Okay. So our locations, we we all border um, the Navajo Nation. Um, we also service the Zuni Pueblos. They're about 30 miles south of Gallup. Um, in our grants location, we also border the Laguna Acoma Reservation. And then in our two Arizona locations, we border also the Navajo Nation and the Apaches. Yeah. Um, so we, so we kind of are surrounded by, you know, um, Native American, Native American culture. About 92% of our clients are Native American throughout all five agencies. And I always uh, say that number is probably higher, about 95%. Um, I always, you know, talk about when I go places or ask for a donation, you know, the the Native American reservations are very, very poor. Um, The Navajo Nation, especially uh, their poverty rate is about 38%. And, you know, most homes there on the reservation do not have running water or electricity. So, um, so we're speaking with uh, Vicki Trujillo, the executive director of Catholic Charities of Gallup, New Mexico. Um, And so 
do the services that you provide to them, do you usually provide the services on the reservations or off the reservations? Um, it's off at our, at our, at our locations, but a lot of them live on the reservation. So what we do is, um, you know, if they, if they are able to have the electricity, we help them, you know, with the electricity bills here in Gallup, we're able to help them with, um, propane. So Gallup's kind of the center where they come in, um, and get their supplies because there's not a lot of stores on the reservation. So um, every month they come in, first of the month, they come get their food, their clothing, um, all their heating supplies. You know, a lot of them have wood stoves and use pellets or firewood. And we provide, you know, a load of firewood. We also provide propane and pellets for they can heat their home. So let's now focus a little bit on Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is has a lot of cultural aspects to it. And I can speak a little bit from the New York experience where we have a very um, heavy kind of Latino population, as there is in the Southwest also. And yes. some of the ways that those families celebrate um, Thanksgiving has some a little bit of a different uh, kind of feel or flavor or aspects than those who are not Hispanic. Are there particular um, things that the way that Native Americans celebrate or don't celebrate Thanksgiving that would be of interest to our listeners? Um, So they pretty much, you know, celebrate Thanksgiving um, the same way we do, you know, with their families and they eat and, you know, things like that. They have the families a lot of them live all together. So there's multi-generational families in one home. Um, you know, we have grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, and then the children. So they all are together in the home. And then, you know, on their land, they probably have like an aunt or uncle, you know, 50 feet away in another home. So, you know, a lot of them celebrate that way. Right. And now again, I think, you know, to educate me a little bit and our listeners also. You said something a little bit earlier, which reminded me, um, there are many of the Native Americans who do not actually live on the reservation. They live off, right? Yeah. So um, in Gallup, we have um, a lot of Native Americans that have moved to, you know, the the city of Gallup and um, live here in town and work here in town. And then a lot of them, you know, a commute from, you know, the, the reservation here to work in Gallup or some work in Farmington and little off the reservation also. Okay. Well, Vicki, um, I am just delighted. Uh, thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your own story and telling us all the wonderful things that Catholic Charities is doing, participating in, um, in at Thanksgiving. Uh, it's a very, in many ways, it's a very wonderful time of the year and that we're able to kind of reach out to make it a little bit happier for some people who maybe don't have what most Americans fortunately do have. So thanks for sharing that with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And it was very nice to meet you. Great. Vicki Trujillo, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of Gallup, New Mexico. And 
Catholic Charities there serves uh, many of the Native Americans in that area. In fact, over 90% of those whom they serve each year are Native Americans. Uh, so a wonderful ministry and service that they do. Thank you for being with us on Just Love. We'll be back in just a moment. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and more compassionate. Come back to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about the world around us from the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. We say, just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and the world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We look at what's going on in the world through our Catholic social values. And this week, we're kind of taking a little bit look at what Catholic charities agencies are doing with regard to Thanksgiving in different parts of the country. Delighted to have just spoken with Vicki Trujillo, who's the executive director of Catholic Charities in the Southwest, Gallup, New Mexico. And right now I am delighted that we're gonna to go to Florida to the Southeast of the country. And we're gonna speak with uh, Clint Branham, who is the chief operating officer of Catholic Charities in Venice, Florida. 
So I'm delighted that we kind of get a little bit of a different perspective on what is going on. Uh, Clint, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Well, I am delighted. So, uh, um, so let's get right into it. Um, can you tell me what's going on in, well, first of all, let me begin by saying, um, uh, you know, our prayers have been with you in terms of dealing with the devastating impact that Hurricane Ian had uh, over a month ago. Um, so let me just begin by saying, uh, Clint, how are you? How are your neighbors doing? How's the community doing? Hey, um, yeah, thanks. And, you know, thanks for your prayers. And, you know, people all over the country have been praying for uh, for the folks down here in Florida as they recover. And I will say, it seems to me that God is really at work down here as we uh, recover from the hurricane. Um, like I said, it was about a, a month ago or so that the hurricane struck. And as everyone knows, massive damage, billions of dollars, um, over 100 lives lost, you know, thousands of families displaced. Um, but, you know, the, the uh, Catholic Charities is really been able to work, to work alongside a lot of great partners here in Florida to, uh, to try to help people out, try to get them back on their feet. Um, so, you know, making progress slowly but surely. But um, but we've been busy, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the Diocese of Venice is um, almost 10,000 square miles, 10 different counties. So, and we had damage just across the diocese. Um, so, yeah, we were not only very active, but spread, spread pretty far and wide as well i would say yeah so you know again to help our listeners and i don't mean to be overly depressed depressing at all in hurricanes and in this particular one a hundred people died which is kind of really awful they die of flooding or what 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 causes the death well um you know i'm actually relatively new to florida but what i learned about um about hurricanes and fatalities associated with them is that I guess a lot of them happen in directly in the aftermath when people right. come out and they're down power lines and trees falling on people. Um, but that said, I mean, in the moment there was, I don't know if you all saw on the news, but there was um, um, the ocean basically came up into Fort Myers, right up into all the buildings. And so there were people who drowned. Um, There's a town just to the South of Venice over here called Northport that has canals and all of that flooded. So there were just, there were drownings. There were other kind of accidents um, after the storm, but yeah, you know, pretty horrible stuff. You know? Yeah, um, it is. So, let, so, so in light of that, with Thanksgiving coming up next week, um, I bet it's probably a little bit more somber Thanksgiving this year than maybe it was last year. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure on some levels it surely is. Um, on the other hand, like I said, it's just been really touching to see people come together during this this time. Uh, and we've had uh, individuals. We actually had an individual from New York come all the way down from Hurricane Response and help repair homes down here. I just talked with him last night. Um, so you see just all the kind of touching stories, um, but also partners here in Florida. I, and to give you an idea, like I said, we're, we're spread across the diocese. We have four. We kind of break ourselves up into four regions. And over, over those four regions, we had a, a, a local grocery store chain, Publix, donate a bunch of turkeys. And all together, we'll have um, between three and 400 turkeys and almost 2,000 meals. 
that our Catholic Charity staff and importantly our volunteers will distribute um, across the diocese to people, uh, particularly people who are in a hard spot right now, people who have lost their homes and who are looking, who lost their jobs, who are, you know, looking to have a nice Thanksgiving. So, um, so yeah. I, you know, I would say, yeah, to some degree, it's somber. On the other hand, uh, you know, this joy in giving, uh, we're facilitating encounters with Christ and this kind of charity. Um, so that part's beautiful, I would say. Well, you know, uh, Clint, what you what you mentioned, I think, is something that we really do experience. Is that um, without being ghoulish about it, almost the the deeper the tragedy and the hurt, it almost seems to evoke deeper generosity on the part of people who who want to respond and to help their neighbors in in need. And so, you know, you never want a disaster, and you don't want those tragedies. But you also do have to recognize that they are opportunities for people to respond in a way that is, mm-hmm. is generous. And it seems what you're you're saying is in the midst of the aftermath of the hurricane, um, people are being generous. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, it's the silver lining. That's the only way you can look at it. Um, but even to, to give you an idea of the scale of that, we've been you know, over 2000 volunteers have engaged directly Um in our distribution sites that we set up, um, you know, after the hurricane, uh, we work directly with, um, you know, Bishop uh, Dwayne put us in touch with different parishes that um, acted as distribution sites for us, and their parishes engaged over 2,000 volunteers there. Um, and to give you an idea of how many people they helped, or we helped you, that's um, 112,000 was the last time, last number that we had. Wow. Um, over 22,000 hot meals served. And Catholic Charities USA actually did a great job um, supporting us in a lot of ways. Um, and we were working with FEMA and with the, with the state of Florida and distributed, you know, water and meals and blankets and tarps, uh, over 100, was it 127 semi-trucks worth, worth of things. So I'd say quite busy, but, you know, I think people, a lot of people found solace in, um, in being able to contribute and help and help in the aftermath. So, yeah. Uh, we're speaking with Clint. Uh, Branham, who is the chief operating officer of Catholic Charities in Venice, Florida. And we're talking a little bit about the aftermath of the hurricane. And we're talking about Thanksgiving. Um, so, Cliff, let me ask you, is there a you said there is joy in giving. Is there a particular part of what Catholic Charities is going to be doing this Thanksgiving that kind of stands out for maybe you personally as something that is really kind of positive and really epitomizes the spirit of the Thanksgiving season. Yeah. I mean, to me, Catholic charities is a catalyst for this, you know, for charity in here in this part of Florida and at virtually all of our sites where we're, we're, we're packing up all these meals and these turkeys that I mentioned, that's mostly volunteers coming out and doing that. So um, I love to see that. Um, volunteers coming out, not only donating their, their, their money and the resources to tell buy the meals, but packing them up. And then the, tomorrow, um, in a, for example, in Immokalee, which is a little bit inland, um, the volunteers will be distributing, making the rounds, dropping the meals directly off at folks' houses to make that face-to-face connection with them and, you know, provide them with a little bit of company, um, you know, to hopefully lift their spirits and things like that. So, like, like I said, I... I I view our work as this 
facilitating an encounter with Christ, not just for the people who receive um, the donations, but also the people who are volunteering and the, and the people who are working on our staff, and then just the people who witness this going on. So to me, it's really touching. I love the work, and I'm really proud of our team and all the volunteers who engage. So, Clinton, you brought it up. You said you're kind of new to Florida. Where were you hanging your hat before Florida? Yeah, I was um, in the Foreign Service, actually. So uh -huh. my last posting was over in the Republic of Georgia. Okay. So a, bit, a change of pace. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, I mean, you're, you're only one state south of Georgia, right? Well, I'm talking, I was over in the Republic of Georgia, over by, okay, gotcha, yeah. <laughs> over uh, to Gleesey, yeah. Figure that out. We're so, happy uh, to be here, though, for sure, yeah. Well, that is, that is, that's really, really great. So, hey, Cliff, mm -hmm. uh, Clint, thank you so much, and I hope that you and your family have a very, very happy, happy Thanksgiving, and thank you so much for sharing us what's going on down in Florida, and you continue to be in our, our prayers as there is an ongoing recovery from the hurricane. Hey, we appreciate that. Um, and God bless you. Have a, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Clint Branham, Chief Operating Officer of Catholic Charities of the Diocese of Venice. Um, I think we'll take a break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of football. And we're going to talk a little bit about college football and how that the season is riny, uh, winding up. Uh, as we go into Thanksgiving, just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. back to just love just do it just love god just love your neighbor just love yourself and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world through the perspective of our catholic social teachings we spoke a little bit about what was going on in thanksgiving in the southwest in arizona and also in florida very very different experiences for different reasons in addition to the geography, because in Florida, they are still recovering from the devastating hurricane, oh, a month or so ago. And so that is very much coloring what is going to be going on this Thanksgiving. And the other intriguing part of the Catholic Charities work in Gallup, New Mexico, is in the center of a number of Native American nations naming Navajo, Apache, Zuni, um, they serve primarily a population of Native Americans. And so they're going to help those individuals and those families to have a better, better Thanksgiving. So, uh, but now as we wind down the football season, let's go to our next guest and we'll talk a little bit about college football and some of the uh, changes that have been over there. We're going to speak with Dr. Victoria Jackson, who is a sports historian. She is a clinical assistant professor of history at uh, Arizona State University. Dr. Jackson, thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So Dr. Jackson, so where did you play college football? (laughs) You know, I'm so glad you asked that because I grew up in a household where my dad actually allowed me to dream to play college football. um, And I wanted to play at the University of Michigan. But no, I did not play college football. (laughs) Well, I got to tell you, though, you certainly you certainly didn't set your sights low by wanting to play at at Michigan. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know that. Did you grow up in in Michigan? Um, yeah, uh, originally in the suburbs of Detroit and then moved to the Chicago suburbs. So we'd make right. the pilgrimage to Ann Arbor to watch. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, on our, on our board of trustees at Catholic charities here in New York, we have a Michigan graduate and an Ohio state graduate, and you just can't talk to them on the weekends when those two teams are playing each other. It's just, verboten you can't speak with them uh, one was... funny story is that my dad went to michigan and my mom went to ohio state <laughs> wow so as we would say that was a mixed marriage <laughs> uh that is good so dr jackson how'd you kind of get um so interested in college football oh well beyond you know aspiring to play as a child um I, well, first of all, sport matters. Um, I think it's very clear that when we start to take sport seriously, we can use it in all sorts of ways um, for societal change and transformation. But personally, um, you know, I feel a responsibility actually to do better by our athletes in this country. Um, I was a beneficiary of college amateurism. I was a 
scholarship athlete um, in track and field at the University of North Carolina. And um, unbeknownst to me, <laughs> um, there was pretty massive academic fraud happening while I was an athlete there. And it really underscored the bifurcated nature of big time college sports. Um, football and basketball players were being directed into fraudulent classes. And meanwhile, I did get you know, what we were all promised, which was a world-class education and a world-class athletic experience. And what makes it one step worse is that those athletes who were denied the academic opportunities I enjoyed, um, you know, they, they, they're disproportionately Black. Um, and right. so not only is this a bifurcated um, setup, it perpetuates and reproduces anti-Blackness in our society and is a reflection of a technical or illustration of the failure of um, achieving education equality in the United States. So let me ask you again, I know this is very granular, okay? <laughs> so, no, but but I mean, because it, it, it strikes me, and I'm sorry, uh, listeners, you should know what I'm going to ask, even if you don't, but so so what about the academic exemptions that they give certain number of them to admit talented athletes who don't make the African grade. Is that another perpetuation of what we're calling, whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting in this country that across the board at nearly every institution, not those playing big time sports, but you know, the small liberal arts colleges that compete in division three, that athletes applying to those schools get a leg up in the admissions process, we should question that. Because again, like if we're thinking about who has access to niche sports in K through 12 schools, uh, sports like water polo and field hockey and fencing and squash and rowing, those are typically students who are coming from better resourced communities. And so, you know, it, it's again, it's it's a system in which we're perpetuating privilege when athletes are given a leg up in the admissions process at all universities. And I think that there's an opportunity, you know, considering the Supreme Court is taking up this topic right now right. Um, for schools to start reconsidering those admissions processes. So, um, so. What do you so so give us a little bit of your perspective mm -hmm. on the movement where I think and I could be wrong, so you correct me, isn't there the a little bit or a somewhat broadening of the ability of college athletes to earn money based upon it where it I think it used to be really tight, it's getting a little bit broader? Yes, um, athletes now, um, thanks to their activism, um, so this was driven by decades of athletes um, calling for this change. The restriction on students who play sports to make money from third parties has been lifted. So part of the kind of um, through line in college sports is uh, just embedded contradictions. Pretending all students who play sports are just like all other students is an excuse to not play, pay athletes. But then, you know, of course, other students are able to monetize their so-called name, image, and likeness. Um, you know, we have music majors who might be on scholarship who can play paid gigs on the weekend and not lose their amateur eligibility and their scholarship right. and status in the university. But for for since the beginning, athletes were unable to do that. And so, um, you know, this started with a state-by-state -state move where California was the first to pass the Fair Pay to Play Act. 
um, other states quickly followed. And um, I think there's a kind of popular conflation of the Supreme Court's opinion um, in the Alston case, where they were looking at an antitrust question around spending on education by universities. That opinion came on the eve of when all these state laws were going to kick in on July 1st of 2021. And because the Supreme Court unanimously said, no, <laughs> you are in violation of antitrust law, um, the NCAA realized they were going to have a very hard time navigating this new NIL world. So they just said, you know what, let's see how this goes. We're going to lift the restriction um, and allow athletes to monetize their NIL. And so what had happened is the states that had laws on the books, actually those athletes were um, worse off than the places that weren't going to have a state law kick in because the NCAA had just lifted the restriction. So we're speaking with Professor Victoria Jackson, who is an assistant professor of history at Arizona State University. So um, Professor Jackson, one of the things we do on, on Just Love as we're kind of concluding the interview is we make the person the czar or the czarina. So <laughs> what are the two or three changes you would make to make life better in this area of college sports? Well, we need strong leadership. So I would take on that role or have a team rather take on that role of developing guiding principles. We don't have any sort of enforceable guiding principles about protecting athletes and safeguarding the mission of serving athletes and making sure this very disparate, you know, many industries operating in this space that we get back to actually serving those athletes. The second thing would be to um, reimagine what athlete education looks like. Um, I think we're ironically quashing educational innovation in the college sports space because of this commitment to pretending that sport is what someone does for fun and then school, you know, the traditional disciplines is where real education happens. Um, I'd like to see those things operate in tandem back to the mission of actually serving athletes in their holistic development and well-being while they're playing sports and then that, that educational piece too. Okay, got anything else? <laughs> oh gosh, um, no, I don't. Okay. okay, so listen, I just want to say thank you. That was that was very very um, helpful, and um, you know, I'm 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 disappointed that you didn't make the Michigan football team. I think that would have been really really a good thing to do. But North Carolina benefited, so it was it was great. So uh, anyway, Dr. Jackson, thank you so much for being with us on Just Love. I really appreciate it, and a very happy Thanksgiving to you and to all of yours. Oh, thank you. And same to you and happy World Cup viewing, um, despite the horrible context in which this World Cup is happening. I yep. hope there's still opportunity to celebrate the athletes. Well, I know. I mean, I, I, this maybe tells you a little bit about the world we live in. The lead story on the news that I was listening to today about the World Cup was no beer in the stadium. That was the lead story. I, I don't know which teams were played. I don't know when the games are, but I know that that no beer in the stadium. That's what I know about the World Cup as of this morning. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's a big part of the culture of these World Cups, at least. Yeah. And it's also a $75 million contract with Anheuser-Busch. Which, <laughs> right. 
Yep. So anyway, thank you for being with us. Dr. Victoria Jackson, who is the sports sports historian and clinical um, professor at Arizona State, um, State University. Tom, so thank you. I think uh, you ready for Thanksgiving yet? I am getting ready. Um, we're going to be going out to uh, actually a restaurant. So it's only three of us for Thanksgiving. It's going to be a little intimate, but uh, we're going out to a local restaurant, an Italian place. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Good. <laughs> well, thank you all for being with us on Just Love and a blessed Thanksgiving to all of you, to you and your family. Just love, God, neighbor, and self, and our world will be more just and will be more compassionate. The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.